Yesterday, I'm honored to be joined by Streetball Legend, Larry, Bone Collector Williams. Larry, what's going on? What's going on, my man? How you been? Everything good, man. Staying busy. You've been busier. What's going on with you? <laughs> oh, man. Same stuff, man. Running my academies throughout the United States. So it has had me and spared me the time to travel. But, um, yeah, I've been real busy with that. And I'm working with the five boroughs of the school district in New York to um, implement basketball programs and shows into their schools from uh, eighth grade and, and under and then uh, high school and below. So it's been, it's been a lot going on. That's what's up, man. Yes, um, tell us, for the listeners that don't know about um, Bone Collector Academy, I didn't get live training from, the, from one of the best. Yeah, so Bone Collector Academy is just a – uh, it's a program set and based around kids enhancing three parts of their uh, athletic experience. So in mental health, uh, education, and physical um, health. And so when we go to these other countries, we promote that, teaching things that they may not know about the average athlete. So athletes are better prepared in places where they don't receive as much you know, I would say uh, influence. And in, in the United States, it's the same program. It's a lot of ball handling, a lot of things that, right. you know, enhance a player's individual one-on-one skill set. There are a lot of there are a lot of training programs, and a lot a lot are not the same because everyone doesn't teach on the same level. You put a lot of work into your craft and perfected it. How's it for you to be able to coach kids and NBA players? and knowing to get in the best that you can get? Um, I would say the best part of that would be to know that the, the contribution that I thought really you know, was minor playing in a circuit of basketball at Rucker Park, you find out that it was significant to an athlete's career that is successful in today's game. I think that's the most fulfilling part for, as far as training NBA guys. And then the kids, it's, a, it's the same as, you know, my, my dad used to tell me that when you find the best player, then that's the person that you challenge. So it's always good to know that the kids are looking at me as that person that challenges them to be better and keeps them on point and focused on something they may not ever achieve as far as, far as professional but they do know that they'll have the tools and they'll understand what it took for them not to make it. And I'll and I become that, that help and that factor. So that's the cool part about it, knowing that I can walk through, with them through all those journeys. Yeah, that's a great man. It's always when you're in a position, it's always great to help others. It's always great to help others and when you're in a position too. All yeah. the time. Um, you're, here meeting some, you're connected with a lot of NBA players from Steph to AI. Um, you recently... Recently worked with um, Drake. How is it working with him, and how how serious is he about getting better at basketball? Uh, it, he's always been that type of person to the public eye, I think, that is encouraged by the sport as much as he supports Toronto. But, but you know, as a basketball player, um, anytime you build a whole gym in your house, I mean, right. you're, dedica- you're dedicated. <laughs> Definitely. So, 
I guess that's the easiest way to put it. And then, you know, everything that I do, especially with athletes, and big shout out to him for allowing me to work with him and train. But any of these artists that put themselves in positions to get better, they always tend to have a driving force. And they, if you listen to a lot of their music, you will hear it in some of their lyrics. I think that um, working with this kind of person, it just makes it all make sense. Because I think music and basketball were the only two things that they used to say went hand in hand. I don't know if they still say that now, but I, I can see how it translates. And it was fun being in a place where the full court, NBA-sized court indoors was pretty cool. Right. Yeah, that, 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 they definitely know. But we see today's NBA games, always music played in the background, entertainment level, NBA games are insane now. Always. Yeah. <laughs> always. Um, you were in the movie Hustle with Adam Sandler, who did a phenomenal job. You did also. How was that experience for you with Kenny DeJet Smith, Anthony Edwards? You guys, that was a great overall movie. Oh, yeah, that experience, I would say it opened my eyes up to a lot. Um, I didn't, re- I didn't, you know, realize how much when you go into a movie set, how much time it takes to actually execute a movie and and do those type of scenes. Right. And meeting Adam and all those guys, working with all that many different NBA stars, was like a uh, once in a lifetime situation. Being that Adam was producing a basketball movie, and half of the people that were there. Are, I knew already, so it was pretty like it was pretty eye opening. Yeah, that was a good overall movie. It hit, it hit home. I'm like, any player going through it, that's exactly what they go through. <laughs> exactly. Hey. Um, your clothing line. Tell us about the clothing line. Um, well, right now I am working with a company. Uh, we are. Uh, they're manufactured out of Colombia. Okay. And they are. They specify in, I guess, a, a, the better way to put this would, would be they keep their brand to a certain market and it's pitched in the sports and fashion world in Colombia. So they wanted to combine brands with me. And uh, that's the project we are working on at the current moment. Okay. It seems to be going pretty good because we did a couple sample runs and and they like them in Colombia already, so it should be something that I'm trying to keep something very simple for the kids. Sort of like when you come home from school, you put on your play clothes, and then you have your you know your leisure wear. So not too many items, but something that the kids can go out and have some fun in. Okay. Um, the game has evolved so long, so much over the years, and with evolution, the game has gotten faster. Also, one thing has, has gotten better is handles. And we've seen it from Harden to Seth Curry. Um, that's part of the game now. Fans look forward to it when someone to get the ball in their hands. Um, for you, how was it always be able, how was it for you to be able to always create space when you got the ball in your hand and let the defender know you signed up for this? <laughs> <laughs> you signed up for this. That's a dope T-shirt. Um, hey, go ahead and use that, bro. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm like, thank you. Yeah. I say um, basketball was played a little different when I watched it. So 
the whole thing was it was more of a I guess today's so, so sport is celebrated a lot different right. because it was more physicality to the game, so it was more mental strength than physical attributes at the, at the time when I watched it. Right. So you had people who can play point guard at six eight, like Anthony Mason, who could dribble and pass and shoot and do everything with the basketball, but it wasn't put in the same category as nowadays. So I think that when handles changed, you started to see people like LeBron and Kevin Durant and guys like that who handled the ball primarily most of the game. Yeah. And they're they're the biggest players on the team almost. So to watch it change from, you know, back in the day, you would never expect, you know, Shaquille O'Neal to bring the ball up. But right. In this day and era, in this age, I'm pretty sure you'll eventually see some centers running point guard. Yeah, we have a lot of players playing out of position today. I think that's the beauty of the game now. Like everyone, a lot of players are shooting threes. I mean, an NB stepping outside, but his mm-hmm. most his most dangerous work is inside. He shows it every night, putting up forty yeah. every night. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's interesting to think about that. Embiid shoots threes, but he's seven, like seven two or seven three. Yes, and he's clutch with it. He's up there at, at clutch time. He's hitting a couple game winners from three point yeah. land. It's crazy. It's definitely. Yeah. Um, Rucker Park in New York basketball. In your opinion, what's so special about it? I mean, there's a whole lot of a flock of NBA players that come out of New York who have been NBA veterans and future NBA players. If somebody New York and basketball goes together. Um, I'm uh, I'm trying to answer that the best way possible. And speaking as far as just being in Rucker Park, Rucker Park overall, overall. Gotcha. I would say the park, like all the things in my um, past, especially with basketball, it, it was in an era where certain things meant a lot more. So back then, it was prideful to come to Record Park and play. Like the NBA players would take pride in every summer knowing that they had to go out there or possibly go out there and play in the summer right. at Record Park. Um, and the intensity was a lot higher. So to, to be a part of that situation during the time when it was elevating, it was – it made me feel as if all the work I put in, you know, made sense. But then it, it also let me know that there were more legends out there. Right. So it opened my eyes up to a better way to, I guess, respect the game of, of streetball. You know, and I didn't give myself the name Bone Collectors. That's where I got the name from. Right. So I was always the player I was, but they gave it a name. And I wanted the people to see that it was there was, you know, the skill set was the same right. regardless of the name, but you do know why the name is respected. And um, I think all those people that played there, if you think about who actually played there from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to Kobe to Durant, to right. you think about all the people that wanted to make their name there from, you know, even Allen Iverson. 
I think that it deserves its own place in basketball. Right. And I'm I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, I think the mentality of a street ball player playing at the Rucker was more focused than an NBA player. I feel like NBA players too, and they stayed always focused on the score. But I think playing street ball, it's it's like a more of a you on you, like this is my name, my name, my name is out here. Am I correct to a point in that? Yeah, so yeah, a lot of pride. Your name means a lot, right? It's like your name's on the line every night, you know, and. This is no knock on the new era at all, but we didn't have. If you didn't have the ability to post or make a, you know, a video about what you did, right. people would just have to wait to see you again, right? So you had to be as good as advertised every day. Yeah, twenty-four-seven job. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and one, we all remember the mixtapes, the videos, um, yourself, Hot Sauce, The Professor. Um, tell us about and one and impact it left on the culture and the NBA. Because NBA players still talk about that. Yeah, I would say um, and one was uh, an interesting time. Uh, it, it is exactly what we spoke of in our last conversation. Yeah how Rucker Park needs its own genre or its own particular respect in the basketball world. Uh, and the scale doesn't – so when you think about streetball, you think about the things that are not allowed in the basketball game, sort of. Right. And, and the reason why you think of that is because people uh, back in the early 2000s watched a lot of annual mixtape where – the, they were allowing illegal moves in basketball games, and even though there were some illegal moves made, it was for entertainment value. You still had at least four guys that were high-level Division One athletes or professional players on both sides of the floor. Right. So it gave kids, and I know I watched it all the time. Um, it gave people an understanding that you could be just as talented, if not more talented, than the NBA guys who were stuck to kind of how the NBA and the ABA used to be. Um, lower management has been talked about today a lot in the NBA. Um, that mentality at Rucker, I don't think it will pass because once the game is called, you got to play. Like you said, your game, your name is on the line every night. How would you think um, someone would do lower management? I don't think low management was allowed at Rucker Park. I'll leave it at that. Am I right? Am I cutting? <laughs> oh, yeah. There was no such thing as low management. Yeah, it was a lot of games. So, remember, you know, Rutgers all summer. Right. So, if you're not playing on a team, you have no reason to miss a game for three months in the summer. So, they're going to schedule games every day. Um, when I first got there, uh, I was – it was in, I think, 2000. There were so many, you know, now, mind you, there's courts everywhere to play, but well, this may sound exaggerated, but we would be able to play in four different gyms every day for the entire summer. So there was a lot of basketball to be played, and there were a lot of places to play. So load management wasn't something else. 
you could afford to do because so many gyms you could just bring somebody else. <laughs> to be honest, I mean you have you have Sham God, you got all these people in you know out in New York, um, Ali Mo, and people that players, excuse me, that people may have uh, heard of in some of these tournaments. 